Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today, I want to talk about disembodied versus embodied experiences. And I want to start it off with a discussion about psychedelics, specifically ayahuasca and MDMA. The reason why I'm bringing up ayahuasca and MDMA, full disclaimer, I've never used either one of these, but I'm in a circle of people who have taken ayahuasca, who've taken MDMA. I just read Will Smith's book. He took ayahuasca. Jada Pinkett um, is advocating for ayahuasca. So this is part of a common vernacular in my circles and the people I'm talking to. Um, And so I'm not pro or against any psychedelics, um, but I want to use it as an entryway into talking about embodied versus disembodied experiences, because that's ultimately what I've determined that ayahuasca and MDMA do. Um, And so I'll get more into that. And so Basically, what I hope that you get from this episode is that you learn how to get the effects of ayahuasca or MDMA without using ayahuasca or MDMA, finding more natural ways to have this embodied versus disembodied experience. So before I get into that, I just want to break down ayahuasca, MDMA, their effects, and why uh, some people might use them and then really get into this discussion of embodied versus disembodied. And when I say embodied versus disembodied, what I mean is an embodied experience is something that allows us to tap into our, into our body, into our sensory, into our taste, touch, smell, uh, feel, hearing, Um, And that is basically what MDMA does. It really allows us to to heighten our appreciation for music and physical sensations and um, smells. Where like a disembodied is more of where we feel more detached and we have more of a transcendent feeling where it's like it's like it, it it's where we are kind of detaching from ordinary reality um and we have this sense of oneness with the universe it's more of a a out there kind of vibe more like you're an astronaut versus um mdma where like you're really into your body really aware of your senses um it's more of a grounding uh experience where ayahuasca is more of like a floating up to the sun kind of thing. And so that's more of a disembodied experience. So when we look at ayahuasca, uh, the psychedelic effects, uh, basically ayahuasca contains a psychedelic compound, DMT, dimethyltryptamine, right? And users often report an intense visual and auditory hallucination, altered perceptions of time and space, and a sense of ego disillusion. Um, what I found from what I've read and from anecdotal uh, research 
is that people with masculine energy, I want to say men, but there are women who have masculine energy and there are men who have feminine energy. So if you have more masculine energy, you're more hard-charging, taking control, really assertive, then uh, people with that type of masculine energy typically uh, will respond better or, or find it more beneficial to use ayahuasca. I think that's why Will Smith uh, enjoys it, and I think that's why Jada Pinkett, they both have uh, strong masculine energy. And so to be able to detach from their bodies to connect with the oneness of the universe, uh, to hallucinate, to have these visual uh, uh, kaleidoscopic uh, sights, uh, that might resonate more with um, someone with masculine energy, right? And so if you look at, um, and then you kind of feel like you connect to like a higher power on ayahuasca, uh, where you're like, oh, the universe and God and, and all of that. With MDMA, this is more of an embodied experience. So this is women or people who have more feminine energy tend to respond better to MDMA, or they prefer the experience, I should say that. They prefer the experience of MDMA. And part of the reason is, is when you have a more feminine energy, and I hate to admit it, I have a more feminine energy, is that most of our energy is in thinking about everything outside ourselves. I'm thinking about the, the kids, the wife, the children, the work, the 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 planet like i'm thinking about everything outside of me and so then i don't i lose touch with what i need and what my wants are and what my sensations are and if if it's if i'm happy with it am i satisfied do i am i do i feel content so mdma or more embodied experience uh, uh it helps us to promote feelings of love connection, empathy, right? We feel more in tune with our own emotions and uh, and also of others, right? We were able to enhance our communication and connect between uh, ourselves and, and other people. But ultimately, it really heightens our sense of uh, uh, our appreciation for music and touch and physical sensations and just contributing to this overall sense of embodiment. So now I want to do two things. I want to dig deeper into what is an embodied experience, what are ways that we can have a disembodied experience, and then when do we know when we need to have an embodied experience versus a disembodied experience? Because it's not about, oh, I need to always have an embodied experience or I always need to feel disembodied. It's about knowing what do I need and when. It's like, do I need to eat or do I need to drink water? Do I need to hydrate or do I need, you know, protein, fat, and fiber? So neither one is good or bad. It's about knowing what they are and then knowing what you need for the the moment that you're in, right? So when we talk about embodied experiences, it refers to subjective 
lived and felt aspects of our interactions with the world, where the body plays a central role in shaping perception, cognition, and emotions. It emphasizes the idea that our experiences are not solely a product of intellectual processes, but are deeply intertwined with our bodily sensations, movements, and interactions. So how do we have an embodied experience? What are some natural ways that we can have that? One, physical activities and exercise. When we engage in activities such as sports, yoga, dance, or even regular exercise routines, it can enhance our bodily awareness. I know that like, I really am able to tap into my breathing and where I'm sore or tight. It really helps to provide a direct connection between physical sensations and mental well-being, which brings us into number two, mindful practices, right? Like meditation, mindfulness. When we think about mindfulness, I think there's a misunderstanding of what it really is. Mindfulness is intentionally filling your mind with one thing. If you're eating, then your mindfulness is just intentionally filling your mind with what you're eating. What color is the food? What are the textures? What are the temperatures? How is it plated? What does it look like? What does it feel like on my tongue? Uh, Noticing it going from my mouth through my throat down my chest and into my esophagus and into my belly, like feeling how my body is like being mindful, filling your mind with this one thing. If you're having a conversation with someone, filling your mind with what they are saying to you and taking them in versus thinking about uh, 10 other things. So mindfulness is really about intentionally filling your mind with one thing, right? And this can also involve, you know, paying attention to our bodily sensations, our breathing, um, and just being present in moment, uh, in the moment, in, in the experiences of the moment, right? The third way we can have an embodied uh, expression is through art, like painting, sculpting, dance. These are different ways that we can express emotions and thoughts through bodily movements and sensory experiences. Number four, nature, getting out and and connecting with nature, hiking, gardening, playing in the dirt, playing in the dirt, you know, pruning. If you have flowers, this is what's beautiful about flowers, is, you know, changing out the water, uh, trimming the the edges there, um, you know, making sure it gets sunlight. Um, you know, giving it food, whatever it is, but hiking, gardening, taking a walk around a block. I, I like to wake up and immediately throw clothes on and go for a walk and, and wave at neighbors and hear dogs barking and uh, see little slugs, you know, playing on trees. But but or putting your feet and in, in going to the beach and putting your feet in the lake or the ocean or a stream, Uh, or a puddle, (laughs) but finding a way to connect with nature, that's an embodied experiencing. Uh, Getting a massage or body work like acupuncture. Um, These are all ways, Reiki, even Reiki healing. These are different ways that we can have an embodied, anything that gets us 
into our body, right? Uh, you know, tasting various foods. I mean, if you if you have a spicy food, wow, it really helps you to tap in to your body and your senses. Uh, listening to music, all these different things can deepen our our connection to ourselves, right? And here's a fun way to have an embodied experience through drama, improvisational theater, role playing, put on a wig, put on a dress, put on pants, put on a suit. I today pulled out an old Christmas sweater. It's, it's February. We're almost in March. And I'm like, you know what? Why not put on a, a Christmas sweater? It'll just change up the energy a bit. Why wait until the holidays, right? Play, you know, especially going back to talking about music, you know, play music that's out of season, you know, play Christmas music now, or, uh, you know, play birthday songs on a, on a, like, these are different ways of having an embodied experience that don't involve MDMA. If, if that's, something that you've thought about trying, I would, I would you know, encourage you to explore uh, these different ways, even virtual reality. I don't know if you put on the, the VR goggles before, but they can really simulate an embodied experience by engaging our multiple senses and creating a feeling of presence in this virtual environment where you can run and hike and work out and, and meet other people. You can even go to concerts. Uh, in the virtual world. I know a lot of celebrities, they give real-time concerts in virtual worlds. So those are ways that we can have an embodied experience or an experience similar to that of MDMA, right? Now, if we want to have a disembodied experience, right, where we want to detach uh, or or have a reduced emphasis on physical presence, right? This focuses more like on cognitive or intellectual aspects, really minimizing the role of the body or physical sensations. Then we are having a disembodied experience, which is similar to ayahuasca. And the way to get that is one through intellectual pursuits, right? When we engage in activities that primarily involve our cognitive processes, such as reading, solving puzzles, studying abstract concepts. Uh, This can lead to more disembodied experiences. Uh, Once again, virtual environments can help with that by engaging with these digital worlds. It can sometimes create a sense of disembodiment where our attention is directed towards the virtual environment rather than our own physical experience. Mental imagery and visualization, right? Like guided visualizations or creative visualization exercises can create a sense of detachment from the immediate physical surroundings. You know, it's like daydreaming. When you remember you were in school and you would sit in class and you daydream all day, that is a foreign, that's a disembodied experience. It's like, you know, the person like snapping their fingers in front of your face, like, hello, are you here? Hello, that kind of thing. So daydreaming, mental imagery, guided visualization, uh, and also deep thinking and reflection, right? Spending time in contemplation, deep thought, philosophical reflection may lead to more cerebral and less bodily focused 
uh, uh, experiences. Uh, dreaming. Oh, I love a dream. I love to sleep. You know, when you're dreaming, that's a disembodied experience. This is why, like, people sleepwalk or people have uh, PTSD. They may find that they're responding physically uh, to what they are uh, imagining or, or, or experiencing in, in a lucid dream. Meditation. That can be a... Um, uh, that can also be like a, a way of uh, getting out of the body. And then intellectual exploration and learning. So when we're trying to learn a language or, you know, something uh, academic, you know, you pull out the old research books. The, these are all different ways. When I'm reading uh, classic literature, you know, the, the warm pieces, the, Anna Karenina, those are ways to have a disembodied experience. So when do we know? When do we know when to um, have an embodied experience or a disembodied experience? Let's look at embodied experiences. If you're feeling anxious and stress, then you probably want to have a more embodied experience. You want to have something that gets you into your body because anxiety is stress is you thinking about the future and the world and everything outside of you and things that are out of your control. So we want to get you back into your body. When we have a when we've experienced a trauma, so having, you know, an embodied experience of like dance or movement, that can help move that energy of that traumatic experience so it doesn't get stuck in any one part of our body. Depression, if we're struggling with depression, physical activities, exercise, these can all be helpful things. Uh, a cold shower, right, for depression can help us have a more embodied experience. If you're someone who's struggling with body image issues, then an embodied experience can really help promote us with self-acceptance, self-compassion, and, and just really loving ourselves and accepting ourselves for where we are versus thinking about how we should be or what societal expectations are. Those are very heady things right there. So those are moments where we know we need to have an embodied experience. When should we have a disembodied experience, right? Where we're, we're you know, we're, we're now we're on the, we're, we're doing the ayahuasca, right? Where if you're someone who experiences rumination and overthinking, then uh, you probably want to have a disembodied experience such as mindfulness meditation or cognitive behavioral therapy that can help with the overthinking and the rumination to kind of uh, uh, help you deal with that disembodied experience. Um, if you, you know, are dealing with social anxiety, right? You're, you're like, oh, I got to be around people. I, don't, I can't really handle this then we definitely want to have a more disembodied experience uh, so that we can have a more uh, uh, a higher level of emotional connection without the physical angst of worrying about being around people. And then if you are struggling with phobias and avoidance behaviors, virtual reality therapy might help you, uh, which, kinda, which can kind of like simulate an environment so that you're not necessarily in that environment. So 
ask yourself, am I having, am I struggling with more uh, embodied experiences or more disembodied experiences? And then knowing how to naturally uh, address that. And there are movies, you know, there are some movies and some books that really help us to understand embodied versus disembodied. Like if you look at The Matrix that was put out in 1999, like that delved into the concept of a simulated reality, blurring the lines between physical and virtual worlds, right? So that was definitely a more disembodied uh, uh, exploration. But then you had um, Inception. That was another one of those disembodied experiences where it was so mind-bending. That was that Christopher Nolan movie, 2010. If you want a book or books that kind of touch on these subjects of disembodiment or embodiment, you have Blind Sight, which was written in 2006 by Peter Watts. This hard science fiction novel delves into the nature of consciousness, exploring the role of self-awareness in human and alien entities. There's Permutation City by Greg Egan, written in 1994, and that novel explores the themes of simulated realities, consciousness, and the nature of self. And then the last book that I thought of was Blind Sight by Peter Watts. It's a hard science fiction novel that delves into the nature of consciousness, exploring the role of self-awareness in human and alien entities. And then, of course, we have, if you look at history, right, the Enlightenment period during the 17th and 18th century, this was really an intellectual movement that emphasized reason, science, and the power of human intellect contributing to a shift and how individuals understood themselves and their place in the world. So that was more of a disembodied uh, a, a time period, right? The Enlightenment period is all about the intellect and reason and science. And then you had the Industrial Revolution, that the rapid industrialization and technological achievements from the 18th and 19th centuries, which transformed societies leading to a shift in the nature of work and the human experience of the environment. And when you think about the Industrial Revolution, that was a a much more physical, embodied experience where you're thinking about factories opening, things being built, um, construction, towers. The Industrial Revolution really was an embodied revolution. And now, you know, looking at the 20th century, we're more in the information age, right? The 20th century is the advent of computers, the internet, digital technologies, which have a significant influence on how we perceive and interact with information, leading to discussions of embodied versus disembodied uh, virtual spaces. And and so how do we uh, meld the two? And so as we see, like, over time, we kind of move through these periods of, of disembodiment where that's the focus to embodiment. And then we now with the 20th century, we have this melding and trying to figure out how to meld the two. How do we have both an embodied and disembodied experience, maybe not at the same time, but making sure that we're not tipping the scale from one spectrum to the other. So I hope that for this episode, you what I really want you to take away is that whether you need an embodied or disembodied experience, 
It's not about having one all the time or the other all the time. It's about knowing which one you need for when. It's, it's like a prescription, right? Pills. It's like, do you need to take this once a week, uh, twice a day with food? What do you need and when do you need it? And, and really understanding how those two things work. Because what I uh, would hate to happen is that you go to Costa Rica and you go on ayahuasca and, and you, you, know, you have a bad experience because I, I think that a lot of these psychedelics are being promoted is, oh, it's good for you, it's great for you. But it's like, is it the thing that you need for where you are right now? And are there other ways that I can have this experience that don't involve me uh, taking a psychedelic? What are natural ways that people have these experiences? So if you found any value in this episode, please take seven seconds and share it with one other person and be like, hey, do you find that you have more masculine energy or more feminine energy? Do you uh, feel like you need a more embodied experience or more disembodied experience, like, you know, to, to send it to someone, but also to ask them questions to generate a conversation so that over time you build a connection. And, you know, last thing I want to say is if you're looking for one-on-one coaching, I coach clients through pain, purpose, and prosperity. If you're in pain right now, I will sit shoulder to shoulder with you and, and, and help you sit through that and navigate those emotions. And then we can get you up to your your purpose, helping you to find meaning in life. And from there, once we've neutralized and stabilized you with your purpose and got you out of pain, then we can focus on prosperity. Now we can focus on building, creating, flourishing, collaborating, celebrating, all those things that we can build on top of that. So if you, whatever area you're in, whether you're, at your, you're, you're in an area of pain, area of purpose, or of prosperity, and you need assistance in any one of those three areas, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together.